Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Who's Talking, a new podcast that's all about Doctor Who. I'm your host, Michael, and today I am joined by my co-host, Maggie. How are you doing, Maggie? I'm doing well. The rain has sort of died down over here. How are you doing? I'm Things doing sunnier great. in North Carolina? Um, I don't know if it, you know what? It is sunny. I just looked out the window. It is actually <laughs> sunny here. <laughs> Um, which, you know what, it matches my mood because I'm super excited to talk about Doctor Who, which comes back next week. That is such a good transition. Good job. Thank you. It's like we didn't practice it at all. <laughs> Doctor Who Flux starts on Halloween on the BBC in the UK and on BBC America. And, you know, as usual, we don't know that much about it. But you have an episode description, don't you? I do. And we have some some information that I have gleaned from some interviews and uh, the Doctor Who magazine. So why don't we start with the episode description for the first episode of the season, which is called The Halloween Apocalypse. Makes sense that it would air on Halloween. Yeah. Where else would you air that? Easter. You know what? Arbor Day. That's my, that's my pitch. The Halloween Apocalypse airing on Arbor Day. Definitely. It would involve sentient trees. You know what? That's a really good pitch for a Doctor Who episode, though. You joke, but sentient trees would be a cool monster. No. Oh, my God. Wait. They go back to, I don't know, the 1940s. Mm-hmm. They meet J.R.R. Tolkien, okay. and there are sentient trees. Uh-huh. And that's how J.R.R. Tolkien comes up with Ents. So are you suggesting that um, the Doctor influenced the writing of J.R.R. Tolkien? Well, the Doctor influenced Agatha Christie, the Doctor influenced Shakespeare, the Doctor influenced Dickens. I think we can have J.R.R. Tolkien in there. You know, that's fair. That's fair. But uh, C.S. Lewis has to also be in the episode. Yes, of course. It'll be a (laughs) two-parter. Part one, Tolkien. Part two, The Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. All right. So in, in the first episode, which is airing on Halloween, on Halloween, all across the universe, terrifying forces are stirring. From the Arctic Circle to deep space, an ancient evil is breaking free. And in present-day Liverpool, the life of Dan Lewis is about to change forever. Why is the Doctor on the trail of the fearsome Carvanista? And what is the Flux? What is the Flux? They seem to have wrapped all of the promotion around Flux without explaining it. So uh, my guess is that the Flux is... So, so the word flux, it generally, you know, means like a, like a disturbance in something, right? Yeah, it's in flux. It's fluid. It's in motion. It hasn't settled. I assume the flux are, are, are an actual physical threat and not just a, a, a threat of nature. But I, I kind of like that it could mean anything because it could just be that, you know, like what the, the doctor's life is cause some kind of issue in the universe and everything is falling apart or there could be a group of people who were trying to do something and that's putting everything in flux there could be a group of people called the flux who were trying to do stuff or it could be all of those things or none of them or i'm assuming that some big event is gonna happen and that's the event is called the flux yeah that that seems fairly likely but but i i like the idea that it could be multiple things and, and that's sort of backed up by the fact that we know the season is going to have a lot of returning, not just returning, but a lot of monsters and, and 
aliens in general. I'm looking forward to seeing more creative aliens. I think one of the things we've seen from the promotional photos is that we are getting a variety of aliens and not just aliens that look vaguely humanoid. Because, um, you know, we, we get a lot of human aliens, which is obviously, you know, budget reasons. Same reason Star Trek aliens look very human as well. Um, but we've got, like, the Suntar in our back. They look like potatoes. We've got that new ice crystal dude who looks kind of like he's a weird pastel child of Red Skull from the Marvel Universe. <laughs> and we have the, the, the Wookiee. Oh, you mean the Carbonista? Yes. The Carbonista looks like a cute little baby Wookiee. He does. It, it's, it's like a mixture of dog and Wookiee, and I love him. But also he has an axe, so I think he might chop my head off. His axe is very cool. It glows. Is it a sonic axe, maybe? Oh, that might be why that they have that one picture that it's uh, up against the sonic screwdriver. Ooh, that'd be fun. I, I, I'm just really curious about that character because he kind of seems like, like, a, like, like a bounty hunter. Are they expecting him to be a recurring character? They haven't really specified exactly who is recurring and who isn't. All, all that Chibnall has said at the moment is that there are recurring characters and recurring villains. Okay, I know Grey Worm is supposed to be recurring. I don't know his name in the show. Uh, he's, uh, Jacob Anderson is who you're talking about. And he is playing a character called Vinder, who is recurring throughout the season. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about him other than he kind of has a like a Han Solo scoundrel vibe. So what you're saying is he should be partners with the Wookiee. Maybe, maybe he is. I have no idea. That'd be really cool, though. That would be cool. It, it sort of suggested that he might be, if not friends with the Doctor and Yaz and, and Dan, then allied with them. But that has very much not really been confirmed by anyone. It's just okay. that I believe the actors at one point have spoken about the fact that they shared scenes together. Well, I know he has a gun in one of the promotional images, which is not going to bode well for friendship with the doctor. Generally not, no. But she did forgive Ryan. Yeah, but Ryan also kind of showed regret for the gun. That's true. Not sure, not sure Vinder's going to do that. Also, the doctor was married with somebody who was very gun happy. Yeah, River Song did love a good gun. I think before we, we get too much into the new stuff, which there, there is a lot to talk about, even though we don't know a whole lot, I think there's a lot that can be kind of overanalyzed about every little bit of information they've given us so far. But before we dive down that rabbit hole, it might be a good time to kind of talk about how both of us have felt about the last two seasons of the show and kind of what we're hoping to see both continued or changed from those seasons? I think the fact that we've had basically two years off of this show has lessened my uh, dislike of certain uh, narrative choices that were made, which is a good thing, I think, because that's going to allow me to enjoy it more. But also, I feel slightly less opinionated than I did, you know, before the world shut down. 
I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat, which where I find myself more fondly remembering some episodes that I really didn't like when they aired because it's just been so long since I've seen them. And, and I find myself in this situation where it's just been such a long time since there has been a season of Doctor Who airing where I'm just like, you know, I don't care. All those problems are problems I had, but uh, I, I'm just really excited to see more than one episode. In, yes, absolutely. In a row. Plus the, the most recent episode was a really good one. So it like left off on a, on a high note that makes me really excited for, like it wasn't like it left off on a sour note. This is true. If they had left us with just the fallout of the Timeless Child arc. Yeah. I think, well, first off, I would not be nearly as excited, but also it would be really hard point for anyone to get into because it's so narrative heavy. Whereas jumping in from an episode that didn't focus on that at all, I don't know. It just feels like it allows for a breather. Yeah. Which is why I like the Case of the Week episodes, which we know, of course, isn't going to be how this season functions, but we'll get into that in a bit. Things that we didn't like about previous seasons, I will say that some of the episodes did feel a little uh, heavy-handed in the morals, which I don't think is unique to Chibnall's writing, but I do think is more blatant with Chibnall's writing. I think I think for, for me, the heavy handedness, the idea of it being heavy handed isn't necessarily the issue because Doctor Who has always kind of been heavy handed. It's that he is very, Chibnall, at least in the past two seasons, has been very tell, not show. So everything is just spelled out. Whereas I think in the past, while the moral has been obvious, there's not been that moment where it feels like the characters are just speaking what the moral is. Yeah, the doctor doesn't have a big speech where she explains, you <laughs> don't, know, don't, don't litter. The earth. <laughs> I love that we both had the exact same episode in mind. We didn't talk about that ahead of time. No, but it was the most The most blatant example of it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, and I think that's the thing is, is this era has been really heavy on, on telling us things. Like, I think that's what, that's one of the reasons that the Timeless Children episode doesn't work. Like, yes, I don't really like the idea of the Doctor being, like, super special and whatever. But you can, you can execute that in a way that is not just an hour of, of an exposition dump. Like, if, if you make it, like, fundamentally, if you make it a thing that, that is driven by the character needing to know something about themselves or trying to like go on an arc of self-discovery, something like that works. But if it's just 50 minutes of the master telling the doctor, Hey, everything you knew is a lie. Yay. Also you're the chosen one. Yeah. Like it's, it's telling, not showing like it's literally a monologue where we all just learn information and, and there's no, there's no drama in it and there's no, there's no stakes. Yeah, there's no stakes. The doctor doesn't even seem to care that much. Although, literally, the next episode sort of retcons that into it clearly has affected her in some way. Yeah, she just didn't let the master see it. Because... Yeah, which is a choice, but it, it, again, doesn't necessarily make for good television in the moment that you're doing 
the exposition dump. This is true. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna have an exposition, you should have the characters react, react to the exposition to at the very least. Yeah, and I think that's fundamentally the issue with the timeless children or the timeless child thing, which is why I personally am hoping they continue developing that in this season. Like I, I, I welcome the idea of not dealing with that and dealing with something else, but also it's part of the character. Now I think ignoring it is not a good call. Like ignoring it just makes it worse. Yeah. They need to embrace it. I don't want them to answer the question because if the whole idea is to make it to, to give the character more mystery again, which I think is what the idea is put the who back in Doctor Who, then you can't, you can't actually, like, I don't want to know what, what species she is then. You know, I don't want to know what dimension she's from. I want to know how this information impacts her and changes her opinion of herself. I, I, and I think there's some, some fun to be had in maybe diving deep into how she feels about being lied to by the people she thought were her people. You know, they're, they're, they, they touched on that a little bit in with, with Fugitive of the Jadoon, where there's, you know, a bunch of Time Lords literally trying to hunt her down. If they play with that some, I think you can explore the Timeless Children more, but in a way that is focused on character instead of plot. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It It definitely seems like, the best uh, work that they did as actors, as writers, as set people, all of those episodes that were the best were the episodes that really focused on a lot of good character moments. Plus the Witchfinders episode, just because that was a hoot. I mean, Alan Cumming as King James is, where can you go wrong? You can't, <laughs> but... But that's what I've noticed is that they have really good character moments, particularly that's where uh, Mandip Gill stands out with Yaz when they let her just sort of have those moments of reflection as opposed to when they just stick her in a situation and make her figure stuff out. That kind of segues into the, one of the other things that I'm hoping for, which is I'm going to combine two ideas that are connected, but I have written down as separate things, which is more consistent characterization and a better balance between the characters. So we've talked about this before where it felt like all of the writers couldn't quite balance three companions plus a doctor. There was always at least somebody feeling like an afterthought in an episode. And usually it was Yaz. And the reason it was Yaz is because Ryan and Graham had such a specific dynamic too. Yeah. And they had a relationship that was easy to mine. As opposed to we were friends as kids. Yeah. With them gone and while I'll miss them, I'm really hoping that they can find a good way of balancing Dan and Yaz together to give them both moments to shine separately and as part of a group and to also make it so that it feels like there's consistency between episodes. Like there were times in the first, the, the, the previous two seasons where you sort of felt you could watch the episodes in any order because there was no like traceable character arc. Like, and even with like earlier seasons before this era where they had standalone episodes, you still sort of felt like the companion 
was still on an arc that you couldn't just put that episode somewhere else in the season. It had to be where it was because they're still having an emotional response to either to where they are in their personal journey between the premiere and the finale. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think you see that obviously the biggest example would be Donna coming to realize that she's gone from just attempt to the most important woman in the whole of creation. But you see that a lot with Martha and her realizing her self-worth and you see it with Rose in season one. You see it with Rose in season two as well. Yeah. To a slightly different extent. But I don't think you see it in seasons 11 and 12. No, no, I don't think you do. I don't know that Graham and Ryan left their experience with the doctor as different people. So wholly changed. Yeah. Their relationship to each other has wholly changed. But even that wasn't consistently done. Like, in, like the whole thing in season 11 was that Graham and Ryan were not getting along as grandfather and son. Like Ryan didn't want to call him grandfather. Graham really wanted that relationship. And then they would just drop it for multiple episodes at a time where it didn't look like they were growing any closer or any further apart. They were just there. And then they'd pick it up again for a second and then drop it again. And then suddenly they concluded it. And it was like, there's no... I am not watching these characters change. You have just told me they have changed. Yeah, and with Yaz in particular, they had that whole episode where they're dealing with Yaz having had this experience with depression and bullying as a teenager. And I think it's easy to forget because Amanda Gill is a bit older than the character, but Yaz is only 19. That is a pretty recent thing to have happened to her. She might be 20 or 21 now, but... But it doesn't seem reflected in any of the other stories. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like this is a thing that's a recent thing that is hugely impactful in her life. And I think the same can be said about her career as a police officer, which you'd think having, like, somebody who has investigative skills on this team would be something you'd lean into a lot. Wasn't she more of a meter maid? I feel like they made her out to be more of like a meter maid. She, she was working on trying to become more of a police officer. She was, she was still in her uh, probation period. Ah. But she would still have some skill set from that job that I just don't think is being used at all, except for when they decide to reference she's a cop. Like, I, I just think if you're going to bring on a character that has a background in basically procedural environment... And you put them in a, sh- in, in a situation where every adventure, they're going to have to solve a mystery and you're not utilizing any of those skills. It's a disconnect between what you've told us and what we're seeing. Yeah, that would have come particularly in handy with the Mary Shelley episode. Yeah, like it, I feel like a lot of the, again, it was just, we've been told things that we're not seeing. And I'm really hoping in this new season, given that you know they're doing it as, one continuous story that there's going to be a lot more time for consistent traceable characterization that is actually felt and not just spoken. But how do you feel about that? How do you feel about them doing one consistent story where you're going to have to watch every single episode in order and you can't miss an episode in order for it to make sense as opposed to having it be a situation where you can pop in for an episode or skip an episode that you don't particularly find yourself enjoying. So I have, I have two separate thoughts about this. Depends on which hat I put on looking at it in the kind of context of other shows in this genre, 
all of them have moved to being serialized shows. Like it's competing with stuff on Disney plus with like the star Wars shows and, and the Marvel shows. And the Star Trek shows on uh, Paramount Plus. All of which are now heavily serialized. Even if they have like elements that are procedural, it's still like very much we're telling a story that has an ending and it's going to be over multiple episodes. So like on that front, I'm cool with it. I don't think the people who are like, who would regularly be watching Doctor Who are the people who are going to have an issue with missing an episode. They're just going to, they're going to catch it. They'll either sit down and binge the whole thing or they're going to be watching it as appointment television anyway. So I don't know that that's so much of an issue. For me as a fan, I do think some of the appeal of Doctor Who is the fact that they could do anything from week to week. You know, you could one week you could be in the far future and the next week you could be hanging out with Mary Shelley. It's fun. I sort of worry that that's going to be lost here, but also with, with the variety of like locations and monsters that are in the trailer and in some of the promotional material i'm sort of wondering if it's less of a like like a premium cable serialized drama kind of situation and more of a an overarching like quest that they have to go on but each episode is still kind of its own thing it's sort of hard to know because they haven't told us anything about the episodes but i wouldn't be surprised if like episode one we're here with this monster and then something happens towards the end of the episode that pushes them into the next one, which is something totally different, but is still being connected by whatever this overarching problem is. I will say one thing that the serialization uh, has going for it is that that's really where Chibnall sort of... It's his strengths. That's yeah, that is his strength. And that's what we've seen. We saw it with Broadchurch. If anybody listening watched Broadchurch, great show. And each uh, season told a specific story. And that's what made it really good and compelling is that it you had to watch the next episode, which Doctor Who has never necessarily felt like that, except for when they have, you know, two parters. And piggybacking off of that, I think the other thing that makes Broadchurch as compelling as it was was that so much of its story was like driven by the characters as well, which all of that character drama built, you know, episode after episode after episode, and you're peeling back the layers of 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 this family and and the cops that are investigating the death of their son, and and I've only seen the first season, so that's all I that's the only plot I know about Broadchurch, but but that's that's his strength as a writer. And it's exactly the thing that we're complaining about not being in Doctor Who. Yeah, which is why I think that it's a good move, even though you sort of, you lose a lot of the levity of it. You don't get those fun episodes that are just a nice light little jaunt. And then you go back to the thing. It's one of those, I would not, I don't think I would want this to be what Doctor Who is forever. Like, I don't want them to always make, you know, long six eight ten episode serials any I, I you know i want this to be a thing they're doing right now and i would love to see it change again in the future and be something else like i wouldn't want this to be the long-term thing but as a a story to tell during a with, through a season made during a pandemic where they were limited on where they could go 
who they could bring in, et cetera. I think this is sort of the best solution to that problem they could do given the circumstances. You're definitely right, especially with the limited number of episodes, because you really can't have, you can't afford to have any filler in only six episodes. So kind of speaking on, you know, the, the, the lack of filler and the, uh, the, 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 this whole season being one story, uh, they, they revealed earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, that uh, Chibnall is writing five of the episodes and co-writing a sixth with uh, Maxine Alderton, who did the Mary Shelley episode in season 12. The speculation that has been going around the, the, the fan community for a while is that she is co-writing whatever episode the Weeping Angels are in. I would believe it. Which, if true... Would be phenomenal. Because she wrote the most gothic episode of last season. And it was good. She had a lot of suspense. And that's one of the things that Doctor Who has always sort of struggled with their horror episodes just because they're such a light comedic show. And they can't go too dark because they're still a family show. Yeah, but that's one of those things that Moffat always did really well. And that's what the Mary Shelley episode really had going for it. So the idea of her doing the Weeping Angels episode would just make me so happy. That would, it would be a good time. Because those are scary when done correctly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame this didn't premiere a little bit earlier so we could get the Weeping Angels on Halloween. I, I, I read somewhere, oh, I, I shouldn't say I read somewhere. There, there's been speculation that the, the, the first episode might have a lot of the, mo- like the, 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 the stuff we've seen in the trailer might be from like the first couple of episodes because uh, when they were filming, the Weeping Angels were spotted on location filming around about the same time the Santarans were spotted. And the Santarans are expected to be in either the first or second episode. So it's possible, you know, especially with the, 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 the synopsis for the first episode that mentions that there are terrifying forces stirring that could be an invitation for the first episode to feature that scene with the Cybermen and the Weeping Angels and the Ood. Because in some of the promo pictures, it looks like a lot of those monsters are in a similar location. Like the background kind of looks very similar between the different uh, pictures, which to me suggests there's a possibility that like the site. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Men are only making like a cameo appearance and they're just going to be in one scene in one episode and that's it. Whereas like the Santarans, which are seen in multiple locations, may be a more recurring threat and the Weeping Angels may be a more recurring threat or they may just be in one. It's hard to know with them because they're the one like shot we have of them is like outside. So that's hard to pinpoint. Yeah, I mean, they could have just reused a shot from Blink and we wouldn't know. We'd never know. So I think it's entirely possible that the Weeping Angels are part of the Halloween apocalypse, but are also part of something else later. 
without knowing exactly what the, the, the driving force of the narrative is and only having these vague like comments of, oh, things are just going to be recurring throughout. We just don't have enough information yet. So speaking of speculation and theories and, and all of that, what are some of yours? One of the theories that I have is that there, because this is uh, Jody's last season, I think they're going to have, they haven't confirmed that they're bringing the master back, but I think they have to bring the master back. You say that, but uh, Sasha Duan was spotted in Cardiff, potentially on set fairly recently. So that would suggest he's not in this season, but is in one of the specials airing next year. I just think that because we don't know enough about Missy's end, Mm -hmm. I think we need a little, we need more information about the master to figure out where in the master's timeline, this regeneration of the master is. Cause there's the whole theory that uh, this is in between um, Saxon and Missy, Mm -hmm. but I think it would be, it would just make a lot of sense to have that, confirmation play a part in it especially if we're dealing with the doctor's residual trauma of realizing that she doesn't remember most of her uh, regenerations and I just think that that would be a really good narrative to work into the season I agree and kind of on that note I'm really hoping they bring back uh Joe Martin as as a what they've termed the fugitive doctor I think she's fabulous she just I love her outfit (laughs) what a cool costume right it's fun i love seeing honestly my favorite doctor outfits are the ones that are more colorful they're just so much more fun i just think that was such a like a an immediately like oh that's a doctor outfit like before she even said that she was the doctor i'm like she's the doctor that's that's a doctor outfit to my knowledge there has been even less confirmation that she's returning but i can't imagine they won't at least try to have her back, especially if they are going to keep exploring the doctor's past. In particular, I would imagine the lives she can't remember. Like surely you would have the most visible example of that back on the show. Definitely. I think, and it's a lot easier for the audience to relate with that if we have one consistent character as opposed to a new doctor and a new personality to get used to every time she is dealing with something new although i think there would there would be some fun to be had in like each episode having a different forgotten doctor well that would that would that would be insane that would be that would be really fun though it'd be amazing like for the record i don't think that's what's happening no no but can you imagine not. if they somehow did that and managed to keep six new actors as the doctor a secret It'd be something as impressive as the Mandalorian successfully hiding the existence of Baby Yoda, because that was something that nobody knew of until it happened. And that was very impressive. That was that was an explosion of... Because if that had leaked, it wouldn't have landed the way that it did. No, it wouldn't it, have. And Baby Yoda wouldn't have been a phenomenon the way that he was. Or he would have just been like a mi- marketable phenomenon, like like the sidekick in a Disney show. I do think it would be a bit hectic within the six episode time frame to withhold that big of a, this is the direction we're going in. We're going to explore a different previous life of the doctor every episode. They, they wouldn't do, they, they wouldn't withhold that. Cause first of all, that's a hook. 
I feel like if that was actually what they were doing, they would lead with that. They wouldn't tell you necessarily who was cast, but they'd be like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We might be exploring the doctor's past, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Speaking of exploring the doctor's past, I know we're going to, if we don't see Ruth, we're going to, at the very least, talk about the doctor's past. And it's always been fun in different episodes where you've got different elements of both New Who and Classic Who brought up. I know you and I have both mentioned separately, um, there was an episode with Peter Capaldi where on his desk, he, the doctor had a photo of his granddaughter as well as a photo of his wife. Mm-hmm. Are there elements of Classic Who that you think could be potentially brought back with the thought that those that's around when the regeneration stuff has been going on. Maybe Um, it's worth noting the Sontarans are back and they are looking decisively classic who-ish. And, and I, and I mentioned that not just because that's a classic who thing, but the Sontarans are one of the few races to have invaded Gallifrey. There's a fourth Doctor story, I believe it's called The Invasion of Time, where the Sontarans actually make it into Gallifrey's capital and are invading the planet. So they have a tie to, you know, the Doctor's quote-unquote homeworld. Whether or not that means anything, I don't know. But I think that's, in light of the question you just asked, worth mentioning. There's been some speculation that some of the visual design of Vinder looks similar to the visual design that the Division had in Fugitive of the Jadun, which were the, the, the Time Lord secret agents that were trying to hunt down Ruth. He looks sort of similar to Gat in particular, who was the main uh, antagonist in that episode. So there there has been some speculation that the Division might be coming back. And the Division to me sounds like a reinvention of uh, the CIA, which are the Celestial Intervention Agency, which was a part of the Gallifreyan government that uh, were tasked with interfering in time. Because, you know, the whole Time Lord thing is that they don't interfere. They are observers, except they do. And they have a very clandestine way of doing so so i wouldn't be surprised to see like the division come back uh because it's so they're so tied in with you know the doctor's forgotten past that i do think is going to be a fundamental piece of if not the plot then the doctor's character arc and that would just seem like a really big missed opportunity to me to not touch on that again and and some of it's also just hard to guess since the the 13's regeneration isn't actually happening in these six episodes. That's true. We're not, we're not really building up to that because that's happening three episodes after the season ends. Three. Yeah. There, there are three specials. There's a new year special, a spring special and, and then an autumn special for the BBC centenary. Oh, okay. I didn't know about the spring special. I just knew about the new year's and the centenary episode. Yeah. There, there's a total of three. So Season 13 technically has nine episodes, but only six of them are part of the Flux story. And that's, and the Centenary special is where 
13 is regenerating. So I don't know how much of the season is going to be building up to that because they've been sort of unclear as to exactly how connected these six episodes are to the specials. I would assume they're going to wrap up the Flux storyline at the latest by New Year's because I could see, because I think the season's scheduled to end at the beginning of December. So I could see them, you know, that that sixth episode ending on a cliffhanger to get you to come back for New Year's and then New Year's really wrapping it up. But I don't know. I don't know that for sure. That's that's like baseless speculation. Yeah, that's like me saying, hey, a discovery of witches was also filming in England at the time. That's a hop, <laughs> skip and a jump. They can bring River Song back. <laughs> it's a crossover. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I would imagine they're going to touch on some more classic, some classic Who stuff. Particularly, I think, as it relates to the Time Lords. But I also don't think they should go too far down that hole either. Because Moffat kind of did that in the Capaldi years. And he lost a lot of casual viewers by doing so. Because at some point, who cares about Gallifrey? Like, I am in the minority of people who love Gallifrey stories. Most fans seem to, at best, tolerate them and at worst, hate them. <laughs> I think that also drove away some of the people who were fans of New Who and only New Who, because up until the 50th special, we've only ever existed in a Doctor Who story that didn't have Gallifrey. Well, End of Time had a little bit of Gallifrey. Yes. But yeah, I, but those are the only two examples, really. It's the End of Time with Rassilon, and then when they resurrect Gallifrey and Day of the Doctor. And then even post that, we don't really touch on it except for one other time in Hellbent. And then we destroy it again. Do you think they're going to undestroy Gallifrey by the end of this again? Do I think they will? Not really. Do I hope they will? Yes. I would love if, if somehow, if, if they pull like a, like a Thor Ragnarok and the planet's been destroyed, but it turns out most of the Time Lords made it off the planet before the Master destroyed it and are just elsewhere. Ah, like with uh, Superman and Argo. Yeah, that I think would be a nice middle ground because I don't want them to keep playing this game of destroying the planet, saving the planet, destroying it. Like, we can keep it destroyed, but I'd love it if enough Time Lords made it off the planet that the Doctor and the Master aren't the only Time Lords left again. And I do think that would help ease out of the whole chosen one super special thing because half the fun of the doctor and doctor who in general is the everyman nature of the doctor and of the companions yeah that's 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 the reason that i will always have a little bit of a problem with the timeless children the the timeless child thing is that like you said the the point i think the point of the doctor as a character is that they're, they were just a normal Gallifreyan who got tired of that existence and decided to do something better, which is what I think makes that character relatable to humans. It, it's the idea that you can just decide to do something, decide to be a force of good or decide to be a force of evil. It's why the master is interesting too. He's also just a guy who decided to be evil. It's why that I think the two of them have always worked as polar opposites of each other because they come from the same base. They were friends as children. 
one of them decided to be good and decided to try and better the universe and the other one decided to burn it down. But that that's less fun when you find out that one of them is a chosen one. It is. It's a lot less fun. And then it also, I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes you almost want to root for the master over the doctor just because the character that is now more relatably human is the villain. So, you know, as much as you, it's not like I'm sitting here saying I want the master to win, but it's suddenly I have a significant amount more sympathy and relatability for the master than I do the doctor. And that is a very strange feeling. Yeah. So I I don't know. I, I don't want them to retcon anything. I just, if anything, I want them to lean into it and maybe explain away little bits of it, but sort of fundamentally still try and have the character be the same. I'm a normal person doing extraordinary things, not because I was anything other than normal. But as you said earlier, it really does go into bringing back the mystery of who yeah. is the doctor really? Doctor? Doctor who? Like, it'd be kind of fun. I, again, this is, this is very baseless speculation. And I didn't come up with this. I read this somewhere from another fan baselessly speculating, which is, wouldn't it be kind of fun if the doctor was just a time lord from a different universe? That would be so much fun. Like that, like that, like nothing has really changed except for whatever reasons, this universe's time lords couldn't regenerate. And the doctor, as a child, fell into this universe. Doesn't really make them a special one anymore because they're just a time lord. They're any old time lord from a universe where the time lords could regenerate. Or they're from a universe where the time lords learned to regenerate the same way that the Time Lords of this universe learned to regenerate through experimentation on children, but that doctor was from far in the future and traveled not only across universes, but back in time, thus creating a sort of paradoxical loop between the universes. Which doesn't, doesn't that kind of feel oddly appropriate for the Time Lords? That the Time Lords only exist because a Time Lord from the future, from an alternate universe's future, traveled into this universe's past and accidentally created the Time Lords, and so on and so forth forever in every universe. It, it does. Jumping off of, uh, you know, your pipe dream hopes for stories, right? Realistically, what would make next week's premiere a, a successful premiere for you? I think that we've covered the characterization mm-hmm. of it. It needs to hit the character notes. It also needs to be compelling it needs to not fall into that exposition trap so it needs to let us as an audience you know don't treat us like we're stupid let us infer from the material you've presented us and get get these theories that might be completely inaccurate and you know have us allow us to think these things that might be mistakes but let us do that so that at the end of the episode, when we're waiting for next week, we're excited to find out whether or not we're right. So it's not so much we're excited for them to tell us, it's we're excited to explore with them. I, I, I feel very much the same. Since, since they're doing this as a six-part mystery, I, I, I think 
much like the most successful, like 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 the Mandalorian or or like WandaVision, for example, where half the fun of watching those shows is trying to figure out in real time alongside the characters what the mystery is, like what's going on with Wanda's sitcom stuff. The fun of that is not knowing for a little bit, making your own guesses and assumptions based on the information provided, and then seeing if you're right. And when you're inevitably wrong, enjoying... The whimsy musical number that comes from it. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) So I I, I agree. I'm hoping for that. I'm hoping that the pacing is slow enough that we get some really good... We, we get to spend a little bit of time with Dan before he gets wrapped up in whatever is going on so that we have a good understanding of him before it becomes too hard to get a good understanding of him. We definitely need that because we're coming in with Yaz and the doctor already having, they already have their dynamic as opposed to starting fresh with completely new companions. Yeah, exactly. So I think we need to see Dan, we need to understand who Dan is before that so that we can understand how it changes them because that's what always happened that's what it's supposed to happen you have to understand how donna is before she meets the doctor and then and then how and then you get to see how her time with him changes her so i think i think that's exactly what that we need to we need to know dan and i also want to spend enough time with the doctor and yaz before they meet dan to, to see what their current dynamic is. How have they changed since, since uh, Ryan and Graham left? Because the, one of the things we know is that Chibnall mentioned that the episode is going to begin kind of mid-adventure for, for Yaz and the Doctor. So they've been doing stuff and we're going to pick up with them. So I want to, I, I hope we're able to spend enough time establishing what that dynamic is before bringing Dan in and changing the dynamic. And then I, I, I want them to introduce whatever the mystery is well enough that we realize that's what's happening. Not, not, I, I don't want the mystery to be so subtle that we don't know that's the plot. You know what I mean? Yeah, we don't want another like... Like a bad wolf. Bad wolf. Yeah, if this is supposed to be a six-part mystery, we need, we need the hook for the mystery. But we also need it to leave on a hook. We don't need them to be like, oh, this is what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. But you know what I mean? I, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the, the introduction of it. Like, yeah, there's a balance. Yeah. Something is happening. What's happening? What, what propels them forward? And then I want a good cliffhanger. Absolutely. Because I love, I love Doctor Who cliffhangers. They're my favorite. They have had some pretty good cliffhangers over the years. And Chibnall and the cast of Tease that this season is going to have what they believe to be some of their best ones, which is a high bar to clear. So like that is a high bar to clear because there have been some really good ones. So that's the thing that I think excites me most about this being a serial is, is just the idea that every week we get a cool cliffhanger. So as somebody who likes classic who I think the idea of them basically spending a month on one story is kind of fun. Of course, that requires the story to be good. So what I think is unique about this season is that I don't think we're going to be able to judge the episodes on their own. The success of episode one will largely depend on how well they execute the finale. Yes. Because if it ends up being a bad ending, 
it retroactively makes the beginning bad. But we know that Chibnall knows how to stick the landing. In Broadchurch. Well, yes, but we've also seen that with like Spyfall, for example. That's that's true. Although I, I do think the season 12 finale somewhat undercuts Spyfall as well because he doesn't stick the landing to the arc. That's definitely true. I mean, I'm, I'm open. I, I, I never want Doctor Who to be bad, right? Oh yeah, no. We, we love this show. We want it to be great. I literally, as much as certain eras are not necessarily my favorites, I always enter an episode or a season going, this is going to be the one that's going to be great because I always want it to be great. And you know what? Sometimes it is. And even in eras where I don't like it, some of the episodes are among the best. Like Demons of the Punjab is one of the best historical episodes Doctor Who has done in a long time. Really was. That was that was a great episode. <laughs> the Mary Shelley episode is a great celebrity historical episode, even though it's like really tied into the, the Cybermen stuff. The Tesla episode was a great episode. And that also was one of those that remembered that the show is allowed to be a, a fun romp sometimes. It was great because, and it really leaned into the doctor as, you know, because every doctor has their own sort of personality and, you know, 12 was the professor and I don't know what 11 was, the child. Um, 11 but, was the madman on the box. That's true. But 13 is sort of tried to establish herself as she is the inventor. And so that episode really allowed them to play with it. I wish that was something that was, Back to the, you know, consistency comment. I wish that was something they, they more consistently played up. Because, I mean, it's in her first episode. She builds the sonic screwdriver. Out of spoons. Out of spoons and scrap metal. And, like, bits of, an, of an, a completely alien to her thing. Like a Stenza ship. She manages to build a sonic screwdriver out of trash. And, and it works. <laughs> She builds a teleportation machine out of like a microwave and some wiring and then accidentally, you know, gets them teleported into the middle of space where they almost die. But that's a whole different, that's not her fault. I love the idea of her being the inventor and I, I, I long for them to just do more with that. Like invent a way out of the situation, which I think back to the, the cliffhanger thing, cliffhangers have to be solved. Which is why I think this, this, the story being as serialized as it does, it wouldn't have worked for 10 or 11. Maybe they could have figured out a way to have it work for 12, just especially with the way he was with Bill, sort of yeah. more spur of the moment. But we need this doctor is the doctor that would be the one to have it be serialized because of the way she solves problems. And I also think she's a doctor that will most benefit from this since so many of the stories have often felt like there wasn't enough time for a resolution, a six-hour story is plenty of time to tell a story. Just make it a good one. Just make it a good one. And that's, I think, exactly what both of us are hoping for. Always. Because that trailer was awesome. It was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, and everything they have been telling us just makes me so excited. Like, I know we talked about a lot of, not necessarily negative things, but like, you know, we're cautiously optimistic, but everything they keep telling us is like, makes me want to kind of throw the caution out the window a little bit. Yeah. Cause it just looks so, it looks like it's really trying to rival like the Mandalorian. 
and it's also the best the shows looked. I mean, maybe they just had the best shots in the trailer, but it looks gorgeous. It does look gorgeous. Oh my gosh. And honestly, the monsters this year, I know I've, I've mentioned that earlier that it just, it's a lot more creative and less humanoid, but I'm really excited for that. I mean, the Carvinista, yeah, kind of looks like a Wookiee, but it's such a, I mean, that's a physical, that's a costume. There's a person yeah. in there. That is a gorgeous, like, bit of costuming. It looks so good. And there are those, like, blue crystal people. Oh, my gosh. And and the Santarans look great. And it just, I think that, that while the pandemic definitely put some restrictions on the filming and put some hardships on the team I think they were able to take a lot of that time to really reinvest it back into the creativity yeah and so while it's the same it's the same budget they would have spent on 11 episodes that they spent on eight because I believe the centenary special got a set was a separate commission so that may have had its own budget but they basically had fewer episodes within the same budget for more of a, for, for a longer season. And sure. Some of that had to go to like paying for the COVID teams and, and the fact that filming took longer, but I think they were able to also repurpose some of that money into the actual look of the show. And it looks great. And it looks great. So I just, I'm so excited for next week. I think it's going to be fun. So I think everybody listening should come back next week and find out whether or not this optimism was a good idea or not. Because we're going to be doing this every week for the whole season. We are. And it's going to be a blast. Well, thank you guys for listening to Who's Talking, a new podcast where we talk all things Doctor Who. And we hope you'll join us each week as we dive into Doctor Who Flux.